Good morning. My name is Mitchell Slater. I'm uh, one of the elders here at River Oaks Clover Hill, and I'm blessed and privileged to serve as the senior pastor. Uh, for the month of December, uh, we've been thinking through uh, our, our 3D mission as a church. Normally, we preach through whole books of the Bible. We'll be preaching through Colossians starting in January. But we're going through our 3D mission um, this December. Last week, we looked at declaring the gospel. That's our first D. Today, we'll look at making disciples. And next week, we'll look at demonstrating the Father's love. Now, last week, we were at the end of Luke's gospel. This week, we'll be at the end of Matthew's gospel. So turn to Matthew, first book in the New Testament, very end of the book. Now, in this passage, which is commonly called the Great Commission, we find the risen Jesus. Again, like last week, He has just risen from the dead, and He is giving His church their marching orders. So let's read Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. These are the very words of God. Now, the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Father, we thank you that those words are true. That Jesus really does have all authority and he really is with us always, even now. So please come and empower us by your Holy Spirit to live as baptized disciples of Jesus. Lead us to observe all that he has commanded. We ask this for the glory of you, our great God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. A few weeks ago, we asked the question, what's so great or what's so good about the good news? We could equally ask today, what's so great about the Great Commission? What makes it great? And here's what we find in this passage, that as a church, Christ has given us one purpose, two promises, and three practices. He's given us one purpose, two promises, and three practices. So let's begin by looking at the one purpose that Christ has given to us, His church. Now this passage, it, it really only contains one imperative, only one command, and that is to make disciples of all nations. That's the command Jesus has given us. He explicitly tells us that this is the reason why the church exists. This is the purpose of our church plant. It's what we should focus on. That purpose is making disciples. As H.B. Charles said, the final command of Jesus must be the first priority of the church. Now, unfortunately, it is easy for a church to experience mission drift and to lose its focus on this first priority of making disciples. 
A church, a local church, even a new church plant can easily drift into becoming a social club or a charitable organization or a political action committee or an entertainment venue or an academic institution. But we have been given our marching orders directly from our king. He said, go and make disciples of all nations. This mission that he's given us, it goes back to Jesus' promise in the middle of Matthew's gospel. In chapter 16 and verse 18 where he said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Jesus is building his church. We see that in Matthew 16, but Matthew 28 shows us how he builds his church. He does so by sending out his people into the world to make disciples. That's how it happens. Sometimes I think it's easy for us to think about the Great Commission only in terms of us sending out missionaries to other nations. Now, of course, it applies there. The reason we send missionaries is because of passages just like this, but it doesn't only apply to to foreign international missions. Making disciples is the mission of every church in every location in every age. That's our mission. This goes back to what we talked about last week, that our mission is to both nations and neighbors. That is, it is both global and it's local. We're called to make disciples here in Blount County, here in East Tennessee, just as much as any missionary is called to in Africa or Asia or South America. Jesus' goal is that one day there will be disciples made from every tribe and language and people and nation of the earth. That's his mission, and he will accomplish that mission even through us. It's amazing. During Jesus' life on earth, he really limited his ministry to the borders of Israel. He said, I'm going to the lost sheep of Israel. But now here, he expands his mission through his church to become a global mission. He's saying now you can bring the gospel to all the Gentile peoples of the world, to all the nations that lie in darkness. And this has been God's plan all along, from the very beginning. So it's Christmas. And in the very first verse in Matthew's gospel, in his account of the birth of Jesus, it says that Jesus is the son of Abraham, the son of David. That's what identifies him. So as we celebrate Christmas together, yes, Jesus is the son of Mary, but he's also the promised son of Abraham, the one who will bring blessing to all the nations. And he's the promised son of David who will reign as king over all the nations. And this promised son is bringing this salvation for all people throughout all the world. As we were just saying earlier, Christ is bringing joy to the world. He makes his blessings flow far as the curse is found. And we get the privilege 
of spreading that joy of salvation as the church multiplies disciples throughout all nations. And the key concept there is multiply. It's multiplication. Our desire is to multiply disciples, to multiply leaders, and ultimately to multiply churches. Right, now we were just planted a couple weeks ago. Like Kevin said, this is our, our third Sunday together, but we want to already be thinking about planting again. That's the ultimate goal. I can't wait till we can partner with, with our sister church, River Oaks, to work together to plant a third congregation and a fourth and a fifth. That's exciting. But it can only happen when every disciple is making disciples, when every leader is equipping new leaders, and then we can have every church planting new churches. And we have such a good opportunity to pursue this mission right now, right where we're at here in Blount County. Right? As most of us know, Tennessee has been on like every list of the top 10 most moved to states for the last several years, right? I mean, many of you have moved here in the last few years. We're super glad you're here. I love you guys. But do you ever find yourself getting a little frustrated in traffic? One, you don't have to raise your hand, but let's be honest. Driving through the middle of town takes a little longer than it used to, right? Okay, here's what I would encourage you to do. Whenever you get stuck in traffic, use that as a prompt, as a reminder to pray. The Lord is bringing people right here from all over. That is a huge opportunity. When you're stuck in traffic, pray to the Lord of the harvest because the harvest is plentiful and the laborers are few. Our area is booming, and that's an opportunity for the kingdom. See it like that. So Clover Hill, this is our purpose, to make disciples of all nations. But that can sound like a pretty big task, because it is. That can be overwhelming. We're called to make disciples of all nations? I mean, I can barely put my shoes on in the morning before I have a cup of coffee. And I'm supposed to help with this? Christ wants to use me as a disciple maker to build up the church that he bought with his very own blood? Oof. If that's you, look at verses 16 and 17 with me. Now, the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. So he set up this meeting. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Who did Jesus give this great commission to? Worshippers and doubters. Some were worshiping, right? They were excited, they were all in, and others doubted. Why? Well, Jesus is talking to a group of 11 former fishermen, political zealots, Roman tax collectors, and he's telling them, Pretty much he's saying, go conquer the world, right? Not with a sword, but with the message of the gospel. Go preach my death and resurrection and conquer the world. 
Do you see why some doubt it? But to this mixed group of both worshipers and doubters, Jesus gives this truly great commission, but he gives it with truly great promises. He gives it with great and precious promises. So Jesus bookends this one purpose of the church with two glorious promises. Okay, if the Great Commission is a sandwich, not trying to make you all hungry for lunch, but if it's a sandwich, these promises are the bread that hold it all together. In verse 18, Jesus gives us a promise about His power. We see the power of Jesus. And at the end of verse 20, we see a promise about the presence of Jesus. That is, our King is all-powerful and He is all-present. So first, let's look at the power of Jesus promised to us in verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, the worshipers and the doubters, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. We can go and make disciples of all nations because Jesus is the king of all nations. He has all authority in heaven and on earth, he says. Now, I think sometimes we get this mixed up. We can think, sure, of course, Jesus has all authority in heaven, but is that actually true here on earth? Yes, he's the Lord of heaven. Is he the Lord of earth? The answer is yes. Yes. As Abraham Kuyper said, one of my favorite quotes of all time, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. Jesus hasn't been given some authority, and he hasn't even been given most authority. He has been given all authority in heaven and on earth. And it's on the basis of that sovereign, regal authority that Christ our King sends us out as His ambassadors. During December, I've I've also been, along with looking at our 3D mission, I've been highlighting our six commitments as a church. We see one of them right here in this passage. We see it all over the Bible. That we are committed to both God's sovereignty and our responsibility. That is, we have a a deep conviction that God is 100% sovereign and in control over all things. And at the exact same time, we are 100% responsible to do what God has called us to do. The 19th century British pastor, Charles Spurgeon, He was once asked if he could reconcile these two truths, if he could reconcile how God can be sovereign and we are responsible. And he simply responded, I wouldn't try. I never reconcile friends. These are friends, right? These two truths of God's sovereignty and human responsibility are good friends. We see that friendship right here in Matthew 28. Jesus has all authority. He's sovereign. He's in control. And we've been given the task to make disciples. We are responsible to go and to follow Him in obedience. Both of these truths are gloriously true at the exact same time. 
so we can confidently pursue our mission because of the promised power of Jesus. He will accomplish it through us. But we can also have confidence because of the presence of Jesus that's promised to us. Look at the end of verse 20. And behold, Jesus says. So look, pay attention. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, the Great Commission contains four alls. Jesus has all authority so that we can make disciples of all nations, which we do by teaching them to observe all that he's commanded. And literally, Jesus says here, Behold, I am with you all the days. He is with us all the days of our mission, even until the end of the age. He hasn't left us alone He doesn't delegate this mission to us and just leave us to it all by ourselves. No, He is with us all the days, every day. Again, to go back to just the the, the glorious Christmas truths and realities of Matthew chapter 1. Jesus is Emmanuel, which means God with us. And our Emmanuel is with us as a church Emmanuel is with you as a Christian all the days of your life. He will empower us and he will empower you to go and make disciples. We can have confidence because our Savior has given us these two great promises. We have been promised the power of Jesus and the presence of Jesus. Now at this point, We need to ask, so what now? What does this actually look like? What does it look like to go and make disciples? So what now? We've seen our one purpose. We're called to go make disciples. We have two promises that empower that mission. So so how do we do it, right? Well, thankfully, Jesus gave us three practices of discipleship in verses 19 and 20. And this shows us exactly how to put this mission into action. Look at verse 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. I mentioned earlier that there's only one imperative in this passage. There's only one command. Make disciples. But there's there's three phrases that describe how this command is to be lived out. Going, baptizing, and teaching. Those are three descriptions of how we fulfill our mission. Going, baptizing, and teaching. Let's just look at these one by one, starting with go. Jesus says to make disciples by going. And this means disciple-making takes intentionality. We have to be intentional, right? You can't just wait around for potential disciples to come to you. Jesus says, go make disciples. You have to get up and go to them. Now, that could look like going across the ocean to make disciples in another country, or it could look like going across the street to get to know your neighbors, or going across town to meet someone for coffee, or going across the room to talk to a stranger, or going to 
growth group on a weeknight when you really don't feel like it. Whatever it looks like for you, disciple-making takes intentional effort. Jesus doesn't just say make disciples. He says go and make disciples. So we make disciples by going. And we also make disciples by baptizing. Jesus says we baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Which means that the first steps of making disciples is reaching the lost with the message of the gospel. The message that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in the finished work of Christ alone. Baptism is the first step of discipleship. And so Jesus is calling us to help people make that first step. Matthew, who wrote this gospel... He was a former tax collector, and Jesus came up to his tax booth and said, follow me. What did Matthew do? He, he left his tax booth. He left his old life behind and followed Jesus, becoming his disciple. We're called to do the same. We're called to, to go out. We're called to call people to follow Jesus. When they do, we baptize them as new disciples. So if you're here and you're not yet a Christian, you're not trusting in Christ, I'm so glad you chose to come here today. Now maybe you grew up in church, but it's been, it's been years since you've actually followed Jesus as a disciple. Right? Or maybe you're a skeptic and you have questions about Jesus and about the Bible and about the, the Christian faith. Either way, Jesus' invitation is the same. He's inviting you to become his disciple. He says to each one of us, come and follow me. Which means you're invited to leave your old life behind. To start a new life of following him, trusting him, treasuring him, becoming like him. And we actually see a picture of this, a picture of the gospel in baptism. Right? Our King Jesus died as a sacrifice. He spilled His precious blood to wash away our sin. He rose from the dead victorious over sin and Satan, death and hell. So as we go down into the waters of baptism, we are symbolically buried with Jesus, dying to our old life of sin and selfishness. And as we come up out of the water, it's as if we are raised by Jesus, to walk in a new life as his disciple. It's a beautiful picture. I can't wait till we have our first baptisms here at Clover Hill. That's going to be awesome. But baptism isn't the end goal of discipleship. It's the beginning. It's the beginning. I remember years ago, I was in a church, and this teenage boy was being baptized, which was great. Uh, but his mom said a few words, and she said, I'm so happy my job is done. And I thought, oh, no. No, no, no. Baptism is the first step, not the last. Your job is just now beginning. Jesus told us to make disciples, not just by going and not just by baptizing, but also by teaching. Baptism just begins our life of discipleship. So what does it mean to teach? Again, going, baptizing, 
teaching. Now, we're not called to make converts and then just move on. That's not the goal. Teaching means we're called to actually make disciples. Not make converts, make disciples. Followers of Jesus who are actually following Him, growing in faith and worship and obedience. In fact, it's the Holy Spirit who changes hearts and makes converts. We're called to go and make disciples and to do that by teaching. Now, when you hear Jesus talk about teaching here, don't think he's calling you to be a professor up in front of a classroom with a chalkboard. That's not at all the picture that should be in your mind. Discipleship is more about imitation than it is about information. It's more about imitation than it is about information. Yes, there is information that we need to teach. That's important, right? Jesus just told us... (coughs) To baptize people in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Which means we have to teach on deep doctrines like the Trinity. But discipleship isn't just about an information transfer. A data dump from your brain into someone else's brain. It's about imitating formed into the character of... It's about deep character formation. Being formed into the character of Christ. The word disciple could also be translated apprentice. So think about making disciples as entering into an apprenticeship in Christian doctrine and Christian living. We see this modeled for us in Jesus. He was a rabbi. He was more than that, much more, but he was a rabbi, a Jewish teacher. And like the other rabbis of his day, he had disciples who would follow him, learn from him. And these disciples functionally entered into an apprenticeship. They learned about the Scriptures from their rabbi, but they also spent time with him, a lot of time with him. They watched his way of life. They learned how to live like he lived. This is why Paul could say, following his Savior, follow me as I follow Christ. Discipleship has to do not just with what we know, though that's important, It also has to do with how we live. Jesus said to teach them to observe or teach them to obey all His commands. That's comprehensive. That's all-encompassing. Now, it's common here in the South to talk about decisions for Christ. As you can hear, you know, so-and-so made a decision for Christ last week. But Jesus doesn't call us to go out and make decisions decisions. He calls us to go and make disciples. We we don't want people to make a decision for Christ. We want them to make every decision for Christ. That's discipleship. Not just a decision and then they move on. Discipleship is making every decision for Christ. Because it's the process, and it is a process, of becoming more and more like Jesus, slowly but surely, empowered by the grace of God and the Spirit of God. But that process happens together. Christian discipleship is deeply relational. It's a community project. We do it together. Again, 
Jesus spent three full years of his life investing in 12 young men. And those 12 men went out and turned the world upside down with the gospel. Jesus invested in his 12. He gave special attention to his three, Peter, James, and John, probably because they needed it a little more. Peter, he went out and found other men to invest in, like John Mark. Paul invested in others, like Timothy and Titus. Discipleship doesn't happen in isolation. It happens in community together. Now, I like this very simple definition of discipleship from, uh, from Nine Marks Ministries. It says, to be a Christian is to be a disciple of Christ. And being a disciple means looking to others for help in being like Christ. That is to be a disciple. And looking to help others be like Christ to disciple. Now, is that pretty simple? I need simple. Right? Every Christian is both a disciple and a disciple maker. We are all influenced by someone and we are all influencing others. Discipleship is always a two-way street. But when it's laid out like this, right, you need help to be like Jesus and you can help others to be like Jesus, that's not too overwhelming, is it? With God's help, we can do that. This is so simple, and it's so powerful. So what could it look like for you to intentionally pursue a life of discipleship? Now, here at Clover Hill, discipleship can be both formal and informal. Both are good. It can be both formal and informal. So formally, as we've already heard about this morning, our growth group ministry is the chief place where discipleship happens. Not the only place, but a primary chief place. Now, we do have other opportunities. We have Bible studies for men and women. Those are absolutely great discipleship opportunities. I love our Thursday morning men's study. It's so good. Uh, for you students, right, when I grew up, youth group was just silly games and pizza. Um, we have some pizza sometimes. We play some games. But our student ministry is about discipleship. When you think of it, imagine in this room teaching on the Bible and then breaking up into smaller groups to press into each other in discipleship. So discipleship happens in all kinds of ways. But again, our growth groups are primary. They're just small gatherings of disciples. They meet every week, and they help each other follow Jesus. We come together to talk through how we can apply God's Word. We break up into smaller groups, men with men, women with women. We pray for each other. We hold each other accountable. We help each other observe all that Jesus commanded us. I can't recommend enough you come into one of these groups, becoming part of one as a way of both being a disciple and making disciples. So formally, that's, that, that's a major way that discipleship happens here, through growth groups. But informally, discipleship can happen and should happen all the time. This is why as a church, we really want to have a simple, streamlined form of ministry, which means we don't want our church 
to have programs running every night of the week. That's intentional. That's on purpose. We want to have a very simple schedule together as a community. We, we worship together on the Lord's Day, on Sundays, and we meet together in growth groups one other night a week. We want it to be simple. There's other things you can do, but that's the basics. Outside of that, we want your schedules to be freed up because as elders, we don't want you to be so busy here in this building that you have no time left to do what Jesus has actually called you to do to make disciples. We can be very busy with church and very lacking in disciple making. We want you to have the time to disciple your kids to show hospitality and invite people into your home, to read the Bible one-on-one with another believer, to grab coffee with a friend who isn't a believer. There are countless ways to make disciples, and we want to free you up to pursue that mission. Now, sometimes during the week, uh, I'll just go set up at a coffee shop with my laptop to work for a few hours. Without fail, if I walk into Vienna or Southern Grace, guess who I see? You guys. If I want to talk to someone, I just go there. Someone from here, normally a lot of people, will be there. Because every single time I walk in, I'll see a few of you meeting together. You have open Bibles, talking, praying. It's glorious. I love it. So if that's you, and I know that's many of you, here's my encouragement. Keep going. The Spirit is using you in the lives of other people. Keep going. Keep pursuing the mission. Keep making disciples. And if you've never really experienced discipleship, the best time to start is right now. As you get to know others here in the church, it's as simple as as finding someone to regularly meet with to help each other follow Jesus. Again, don't overcomplicate this. It might seem simple, but it will blow your mind how life-changing this can be. Now, in Titus 2, Paul calls the older women to disciple the women, the older men to disciple the younger men. And I'm thankful to have seen this in my own life. I have so many examples I could point to, but the one that was really sticking out in my mind this week, and I was just so thankful to the Lord for was back in January of 2013. I was still in college. Shannon and I had been married for two whole weeks. We visited a new church, and on that first Sunday, I met David Kesterson. Many of you know David. David invited me to join a group of about three or four guys who met to read through the Bible every Friday morning at 5.30 a.m. Now, that was very early especially for a college student. And it was very impactful to my life. I had never experienced anything like that before. And that year of discipleship changed my life. There was no program. It wasn't complicated. We read the Bible. We came together and talked about it. Talked about life. Prayed for each other. And like David did for me, you can find someone in this room. You can say, hey, Would you like to just start getting together to read the Word, talk about our lives, pray? It's that simple. And the Lord can do extraordinary things through our very ordinary relationships when they're focused on Christ, on knowing Him, 
and on growing in his word. So Clover Hill, we have one God-given purpose to make disciples of all nations. We are empowered by two glorious promises, the power of Jesus and the presence of Jesus, and we can live out our mission in three simple but effective practices, going, baptizing, and teaching. May the Lord use our new church to expand His kingdom both here and around the world for the glory of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, we have heard your word. Thank you for speaking to us. Now, by your Holy Spirit, apply it to our minds, apply it to our hearts and our lives. Lead us as a church to follow Jesus in making disciples of all nations and of all East Tennessee for your glory. As we come now to the Lord's Supper, please encourage our hearts with the gospel of grace, the good news of Jesus. We ask this in the name of Jesus and for his sake. Amen.